Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's doing well in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody's splendidly doing late. Hello everyone. I was caught unawares then. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, we've also got a fourth with us today, Mr David Evans returning once again. Hi Dave. Evening, gents. Good to have well, good to be with you all once again. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while. Um Spider Man before Christmas, was it, the last time you were on? I think so, yeah. Jeez, it's been a been a long old year. Um, just to talk about last week's podcast for a moment, I love how we opened last week's podcast complaining that summertime has now been and gone, and then we get the hottest day of the year on the day it's <laughs> released. <laughs> Times to perfection, I think, there, didn't we? Yeah, everything about me is shriveled like a prune in that heat. It was <laughs> disgustingly hot, wasn't it? There was no, there's no getting around it. It was just, it was horrible. Yeah, very unpleasant. I feel like you know I, I, I hate to, to stereotype, but the the typical listener of a podcast that would probably be around about film, TV slash Nick Cage um, isn't going to be the most athletically gifted or survive that well in the heat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if that's if if anything like that is is like me to go by, yeah, it, it, you know, people who, like me who are built for winter struggled. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> So, more than anything, though, Dave, I'm, I presume that you're here to tell him how silly he is about Thor. Uh, now time has gone, I'm still very much split in the middle about that film now. I'm equally, in one hand, of I enjoyed all the things I enjoyed, but on the other hand, I completely agree with all the flaws to do with that film. I'm very split. I'm very in the middle now. I think I came out of it like you see. I really enjoyed it, and now I've had time to think. I'm like... Oh, you know, one of those. For for everyone listening to this, obviously not watching, just the mention of Thor has made him, you could see the blood boiling behind his eyes. <laughs> oh, Stu, I mean, obviously that, that review that we did, I was so angry. For days, I was furious about that film. It's, it's, it's the drizzling shit. It's embarrassingly bad. Don't get me started. Sorry, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> Poke the bear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's been about five, six weeks since we last did a question cast, so there's a bit of news to, to catch up on. Uh, we'll go back six weeks now at this point. Joker Folly Adieu, I believe that's pronounced in my black country accent, not French. Mm. Uh, it's a sequel to the mega successful Joker film, uh, that's finally been greenlit, and apparently there is a script already being produced by the director. Um, it's a possible musical starring Lady Gaga as well as um, Harley Quinn. That went, that came and went very quickly. That brief bit of news, so I don't know how true it actually is. What I did think was interesting is the people who wanted a sequel were upset when the news that it could be a musical came out, and the people who didn't want a sequel. When the news of the musical came out, like I'm actually, I'd quite like to see that. I thought it was quite interesting that it flipped 50-50. Like it was odd. Dave, what are your thoughts on a Joker sequel and a possible musical sequel at that? You see, I like the idea of it being a musical because it's just something completely different. But I think I'm in that weird camp of 
I just like the Joker that it, it just felt like a standalone film and I'd rather it just be kept within that world. I don't know what else. I mean, obviously, you can do something else with a sequel. Writers will always think of something, but I kind of just enjoy the fact that it it just felt like a standalone piece of cinema. Yeah. And I, I look, if it was a musical, I'd go see it anyway, regardless. But I think I'm in that camp of just, just leave it be. Just let it be one film. Don't let TV, you know, film execs go, oh, this made a lot of money. People enjoyed it. Let's do another mm-hmm. one. Just, just, just let it be. Yeah. Stu, thoughts? I was one of them who didn't want a sequel as well. Um, but this sounds intriguing. And it almost kind of plays to the way that you could take the first film as being completely in his mind anyway. So yeah. if they're gonna if they go for that angle again and then it's all it's a musical this time and the he is just a lunatic who's got issues and everything is actually in his head, then yeah, good. Bring it on. I'm, I'm if it was just a, a absolute sequel to what how it ended with them on the roof and everything like the car and all that kind of stuff and not where the film actually ended. I wouldn't be really that bothered. Um, but this, yeah, bring it on. Can't wait. Matt, um, I, I can't remember. I mean, you've seen The Joker, but I don't think we mm. went together. I think I went with Stu and Dave separately, oddly enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts on The Joker and the, the possibility of this musical sequel we're talking about? The only way I want to see a sequel is if it's a musical now, to be honest, because thinking about it now, you can start you can start the movie with him getting his head cracked by a policeman um, at the end of the the, 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 the the film that we know, and the rest of it just be a hallucinogenic daydream or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the best moments in that film was when he was... Um, he'd, he'd flipped and then he became this really bombastic and... Um, really camp and over the top figure dancing to Gary Glitter and down that set of stairs. Do you know what I mean? Like he become the showman and then he can be exactly that throughout nearly as much as he wants if it's a musical. It, it has to be, you know what I mean? It's not going to be yeah. like um, bloody Evita. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's going to have to be that kind of joke in a way. And I, I think it'd be really interesting. I hope though that they make it colourful and make it like Birds of Prey. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, go down yeah. that route with it, and kind of what they did, like with especially at the start of the Elvis film, where actually it became there's a lot of, like pop art and stuff like that. I hope that's the route they go down with it, um, because if if it's like glim and and it's a moody, all you know, all the way through, I, I don't think it'll work. If it's going to be a musical, it's got to be it's got to be camp, basically. Yeah. I absolutely agree completely. Just make it a complete different film. I would even be fine if they didn't bring Joaquin Phoenix back and it was a different person as Joker and do something completely different. Um, as great as Joaquin is, like I think I just don't want to see more of what we've had. We've been there, they told a complete story. Move on. Uh, moving on to five weeks ago, Squid Games has been confirmed as getting a second season. Um, also apparently a Netflix reality show but the Netflix reality show is just going to be they win 3.8 million uh, and no one actually gets murdered. So I don't know how interesting that really is, to be honest. I know um, Netflix is like profits are shrinking by the minute, but this is ridiculous. Yeah, another million <laughs> another million subs gone apparently in quarter two. So, yeah, not great. 
Um, other than Ji Hoon returning and Young Hee's boyfriend, apparently is going to be coming into season two. Nothing else is confirmed at this point. Matt, I remember you've watched Squid Games. Is there anything that you want to see in season two, or anything that you don't want to see in season two in particular? Well, talking about things that I don't want to see a sequel of, it's Squid Games because yeah, it it was it was it was not perfect, but it was it was told really well, and it was this has got such an opportunity to be battle royale requiem, like it completely like jumps jumps the shark in its second series, <laughs> like I, I, unless it's all the only way I would want to see it is if it was a completely new squid game like it was just completely new characters they were just playing the game again but this whole him trying to break the system thing that which is what it will become yeah i just can't see it working or i just don't think it will work Mm. it's just gonna end up being hunger games setting career isn't it like yeah that's that's where we're heading with it unfortunately uh dave have you watched squid games yeah, I'm with Matt. It kind of felt like a perfect one and done series, and I don't. The problem is with Squid Game. Obviously, people will want to see more games, hence the title mm. and the whole thing of breaking down the system may not work. It'll probably end up being a he gets transported somewhere else, and that's it. There's even a bigger Squid Games with bigger stakes, and it's like yeah. I don't know celebrities or diplomats or something like that, and he's got to try and bring that down as well. And there's probably more localised Squid Games. That's not just the only one in the world. So, look, I think I'd watch it when it comes out, but I'm with Matt. Just, just again, leave it be. Things can be left be. You don't have to make sequels. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Stu, is there a chance that this is going to be True Detective? They had a decade to write the perfect first season, and then they've got, like, 12 months to write a sequel, and it just ends up shitting the bed. Is that what's going to happen here? Nothing can be that bad ever again. I mean, that's that second series is that's going to be the big. I mean, that we could have saved that for another question. We'll probably do it again in the future. But that's got to be the worst first to second season of anything ever, from quality dip wise. It just absolute shit. Um, I think the thing with Squid Game, it was almost in on its own joke. Like the the English people. Um, like how how ridiculously over the top it was played, and I know it was that's how English, like Western people are portrayed in in Korean dramas anyway. From what they said afterwards, when people were like um, criticizing them about it, so it was already kind of camp anyway. So if they go more ridiculous, yeah, my uh, my only fear, kind of what, echoing what everyone else has said, if they try be too serious with it and try and the whole bringing bringing the man down kind of thing, like mm. Matt said, you don't really want to see that. I mean, in a way, I'd rather just not see him until the last episode and have it be, like set somewhere else, and him be coming with his maybe green hair this time, um, in the last one to kind of shake things up a bit. And that, that there you go, he's been in it, but he's not the star. That would yeah. work. That that would work good well for me. That would be different and better than you'd expect, but. It's a tough one. It's a, it, I mean, Netflix are fucked, so... <laughs> um, it's almost like, oh, well, do we go wherever you want, go make it, or... I don't know. I'm, it's the one I'm... I'm I'll say most worried about because it was a surprise hit anyway for everyone, but it's so easy to fuck this one up. <laughs> yeah, it really absolutely. is. Absolutely. 
Uh, four weeks ago, John Williams announced his retirement, career of over 60 years on the big and small screen. Um, his first credit on IMDb was actually an uncredited orchestra uh, orchestrator appearance in 1956's Carousel, and his final credit will be on Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obviously, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Superman, Harry Potter, Jaws, Jurassic Park, and Jurassic World as well. Like, he's done everything. So, quick question then. Stu, what is your favourite John Hughes piece? Uh, John Williams piece? It's Star Wars, eh? It's just every, all day, every day. Not yeah, even a, no debate. Matt, what's your favourite uh, Williams uh, my favourite would be Jurassic Park because when you get that shot, dinosaurs used to rule the world and there's a T-Rex and you're, the music's blaring. It doesn't get the blood flowing quite as much as that um, for me. Um, I think it's just an incredible piece of music that has a, a, this uncanny ability to lift the mood. Even if you don't see a single dinosaur, you hear that music, you're transported and that's what all the best music does. Hmm. Dave, I think you're probably going to say the same, aren't you? Jurassic Park for you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, everything Matt just said there, really. You know, if you if I ever go to a safari park, as soon as I go through the the, the gates, I'm singing that tune. If I go over a hill and you can see like a vast horizon, I'm singing the, the Jurassic Park tune. It's such, such an iconic piece of music. I think Star Wars would obviously come second, but yeah, it, it's Jurassic Park all day, every day. See, I get those same feels for the Superman. Like that, that to me, obviously, Superman is one of my all-time favorite films, and that the, the rising crescendo and, and everything that comes to it, I just think are absolutely perfect, and it, it soars in my soul when I hear it. So, Superman for me is the the, the premier Williams piece. I don't know, just cl- just clarify, not all Star Wars. I, I mean, Duel of the Fates. Singular oh, Duel right, of the okay. Fates. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, just yeah for- okay. Yeah, that not, is an excellent, excellent piece. Yeah, yeah. and not just like Spurs trying to ruin it every year we go there, and they're trying to make it something that it's not. But yeah, that piece of music is incredible. <laughs> uh, three weeks ago, a Jon Snow spin-off show was announced as being in the works. The show is reportedly going to be set post Game of Thrones, detailing what happens next for Snow. This feels a little bit like no one gives a shit about Kit Harrington and. We need something to resurrect his career somewhat because since Game of Thrones, he's done very little compared to some of the others. And if anything, you would have thought he could possibly be the breakout star of Game of Thrones and it hasn't quite worked. Dave, thoughts on a Jon Snow spin-off and Kit Harrington in general? Oh, well, I've never watched Game of Thrones, so I can't really comment on a spin-off. I think my only thing would be knowing that they've, they've got the... Uh... Is it the prequel series they've got coming out? Is it House of Dragon? Yeah. yeah. Are they in danger of going down the Marvel route a tiny bit of making different franchises and spin-offs? It does feel like it's very yeah. much... It feels almost like it's content for the sake of content. Yeah. Mm. And I think on Kit, I think his only danger at the moment is slightly being typecast because obviously he plays... Again, I've not seen it, some kind of knight in Game of Thrones... And in Eternals, he play, he's basically going to be playing a similar character in Marvel going forward. And has that film irked him a bit mm. as well in terms of selection? So you need to see him something non nighty, I think. <laughs> yeah. Matt, thoughts? 
Uh, I think there's a story to be told there um, because of how it, how it ends. Um, but unless they were to throw the budget at anything a Game of Thrones related, like if it's not got the same level of grandiose about it, I don't want to see anything remotely Game of Thronesy, mm-hmm. like, because it's just going to feel like a Channel Five ripoff otherwise. <laughs> um, like they're doing the absolute right thing by going way back in time the Targaryens and stuff like that because they were they were far beyond the most intriguing characters that we got on that show. The ones from the books that were like the, the, some of the Sand People types were way more interesting, like the ones from Dawn that we never even got to see. And sadly, they never made it into the show. Or um, and so there were other characters that actually they could explore that they didn't get to in the original show if they by some happens chance made it into some of these offshoot series then I'd be I'd be for it. I still think that universe has got more to give. Hmm. Stu? Hmm. Oh. I mean Kit Harrington's he's, he's almost gone like Howard out of take that eh? I mean you look at the start of it where he seemed like to all extents and purposes the one to break out more than anyone else. More than Amelia Clark. I mean I know you, you don't particularly like her anyway. Um but she has made a nice little career for herself. Yeah. Both during and after. And he just seemed to have just fell off a cliff. <laughs> and I don't know. Maybe he, he is just not that very good. He's just, just one of them things. But <laughs> I've got no I don't care about this. I mean the last series kind of burnt me anyway with Game of Thrones. It was just oh, okay. Um the, I'm more interested in the prequels, both to this and the Lord of the Rings one as well, which is looking at even I watched the teaser for that. I think, mm. oh yes, can't wait. <laughs> Yeah, anything afterwards, don't care. Just leave it alone. Fair. Uh, two weeks ago, The Boys ended. Um, well, season three ended, and Amazon have now confirmed season four is in the works, and they've given us a little bit of information on Gen V, which is the spin-off show. Uh, this is going to be centred around a group of college-age soups with claims it will be full of the same intensity, grit, humour, blood, guts and all-round fucked-upness of, of the boys, um, but with love, relationship, hormones and college-aged college, ha- college aged superhero jerks. Dave, have you been watching the boys at all? Again, I've not seen It's one of these things I keep meaning to put on because I think I would really enjoy it and I hear so much good things about it, but... I just haven't seen it yet. Again, my only comment of this would be are places just trying to spin off loads of things to make the content for the streaming services and are they going to dilute the original product too much? Ultimately, as much as we can see the flaws of Marvel at the moment, the film executives see the financial success and I think, okay, we'll, um, we'll make more stuff out of that and I just, I just worry about other properties following the same trend and they might ruin their own content mm. by doing that. Yeah. I think at least with this one, as far as I'm aware, it's set in the same world for a complete different story, which I think is probably a good thing because there's enough in the source material to make it a complete mm. separate show. Um, and plus, as a fan of Garth Ennis, I just want more of his stuff on my screen, if I'm honest. Matt, thoughts on this one? Uh, having not seen the end of this series, um, unless it's tied into the what happens in the series, um, the, the the premise of it sounds great. I mean, why wouldn't you? Because they'll they can ramp up all the extremes that goes on during that so innocent 
point in your life between being a, you know being a young adult and how horrible it is for everybody all involved um so it sounds in theory great but again you know there is there is an element of too much of a good thing and i've never felt so exhausted with media at the moment as i do at the minute like just going through the new releases on netflix the other day i've like i've earmarked a few things and i was like i haven't got the time to watch the shows that like <laughs> i i have to watch for fear of them being spoilt for me much less anything remotely indie or or a documentary heaven forbid um so yeah it's i i, I need a break <laughs> i need some time to catch up yeah, I mean, I still haven't even watched Lucifer or Umbrella Academy, the latest seasons, and it's, yeah, it's a bit of a burnout, isn't that? I mean, Stu, more from the boys? Oh, absolutely. I think mean, I think with this, they, they know what they are, and they know when the time is to say no more. I mean, even the animated stuff, I didn't watch that before this season, and, and obviously it doesn't really matter, but... And that's great as well. Mm, and they, they, they just they just get it. And I, I can't believe that he that Matt ain't watched it yet. I mean, and, and avoided all the the memes and everything and the little <laughs> gifts of uh, of Homelander that's been everywhere for without context, obviously, um, for the last two weeks. It's astonishing revelation. But yeah, this one bring it on more the merrier because if it's the same people, the same showrunner, same writer, same everything, then yeah, absolutely because. I mean, I, I said before that I was late to this, um, but now I'm obsessed with it. And I, I almost got to the stage where I've started again, but and, uh, <laughs> leave, leave that until season the week before season four, I think, and just binge Good it. Good idea. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and last week's news, Top Gun Maverick is now in the top 10 great or biggest grossing films of all time. I mean, before that film was released, I never in a million years thought it was going to hit this. As I said on Twitter earlier, like the original is a well thought of film, but it's not a classic. Like it's fun, it but it's not a brilliant, brilliant film. It's just a, it, it's just something that you have fond memories of. So for this to have gone so far above and beyond is just astounding. And as I said before, Tom Cruise does not miss. But I did tell you though, I did say this that you were wrong about this at the start, and I said that people do love Top Gun, not people you know. Maybe not, but people a lot of lot of people love Top Gun more than you think. I think um, there's a certain been... element of so bad it's good about the original Top Gun. People love it with a sense of camp to it almost, um, which often doesn't translate to then being in the top ten great uh, biggest grossing films of all time. So I, I'm genuinely genuinely stunned, but it's oh, it's just had a hell of a life on the big screen. So. Fair fox to them, they, they, they know what they're doing. I kind of they hope know. they don't do a third now. Mm. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just thinking, is there a certain a certain film beginning with A on that top grossing list, by any chance? A, Avengers? A Bug's Life? <laughs> I, know, I, know, I, know, I know what she means. Yeah. I, I have no... I'm going to have to look it up now. Um uh, highest grossing <laughs> of all Te- time. Teasing the tip there. Yeah. Oh, fuck off, Shu. <laughs> but Avatar is so shit, Shu. Oh, God. People win again. I'll be interested to see how Avatar 2 plays out. 
Because at Christmas time, it's either going to go one of two ways. It's either mm. everyone's going to flock to it or the cinema's going to be flooded with so many films, nothing quite sticks its head out. So I'll be interested to see how that one plays out. Anyway, moving on. Uh, listener questions. Matthew, have we had any of our dear fans sending us any queries? Why, indeed, we have. Um, there's some of the uh, usual subjects, but that doesn't mean they're any less uh, interesting. So let's have a quick look here. Um, I liked your reply to this one because uh, context was needed. Um, <laughs> Andrew Wright, is there any property such as a book, play, graphic novel, or interpretive dance, etc., that you hope isn't adapted to a movie or TV show for fear it will impact on your original ex- uh, original experience of the source material? So that's part one. So is there anything that you just hope isn't adapted just because you've got such fond memories of the original? I mean, I have got one because it's fucking happening now with The Last of Us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, David, what about yourself? Uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a series of books by an uh, author called Douglas Coupland. Um, if you've ever heard of him before, he's done these books called like J-Pod. I read them a few years ago. It, it's hard to explain, but his kind of humour and his storytelling is very different. And it's one of those things where I got this book, this J-Pod book, and I kid you not, it was like about four books thick, thinking I ain't going to read this. And then I just, after the first page, I just somehow on holiday got through it all. Um, but it's one of those things you like. It's so, you, you, obviously, when you're reading, you imagine the world that is being created, and I just can't see how they would justify it on TV or film. Mm. I know that they've mm. done a J-Pod series, which is randomly on Amazon Prime somewhere, but I'm almost staying away from it because I just know it won't be a true reflection. So, yeah, stay away, people. Stay away from that. (laughs) Uh, I've got two sort of cheating answers and one actual answer. My actual answer is The Alchemist, the Paolo Coelho book, which is just, like, really quite deep and spiritual, which isn't my kind of thing, but... I feel like any translation of that onto the big screen would absolutely shit all over the, the deeper meaning to it. So I think that would be... A, I, I don't want them to touch that. Mm. My two sort of cheating answers. High Fidelity. Now, I know that was made into a film, but it's so different to the book. Just by changing it from London to Chicago in the film, it makes it a completely different story. I don't want to see the story or the book told on film or in a TV show, it has a complete different feel to it. And I, I don't, I think it'd be too showy if they try to make a, a movie of that version of London. And I don't think it would work. And my other cheating answer is ready player one and ready player two. The film is not the film of that book. It's completely different. Mm. And again, they had to cut out so much to it that I think if they did it, it would need to be a 12 part hundred million dollar episode um, like Netflix or, or Amazon Prime kind of show. And I, I wouldn't want them to ruin the actual seed of that book. So th- those are my cheat answers. <clears throat> so Andrew had a, had a second part, but it also ties into um, Richard Hobbs's. So I'm going to do it as a, a quick fire too. So uh, Andrew wanted to know what's the hottest you've ever been when watching a film. And uh, Richard Hobbs wants to know the favorite moment in a film when somebody is hot. Um, interpret both, however you choose. Still, I'm going to come to you first. <laughs> I mean, hmm. <laughs> I've, got, I've, I've got a feeling that 
It would it would have hottest would have been when I've watched a film that's not Emmanuel, obviously. Um, when I, it's watching a film in in my room with a projector on, which means windows closed with plastic sheeting across them, and then the blinds to make it complete darkness in the summer. And I've got a feeling that was Tomb Raider. The of course uh, it was. <laughs> um, so again, for other reasons, um, but that was an ideal. Um, but someone been hot in hmm. maybe that one with uh, Ryan Reynolds when he's in a box when he's buried alive. He's pretty that hot is. in there. That's a good yeah, one. There you are. Very good, Andy. What about yourself? Um, the hottest was probably when I went to see The Dark Knight. I remember it being funny enough. It was like ten year, ten years ago. I think was it no fourteen yeah. years ago this week. Um, and I remember it being a ridiculously hot day, and there was no aircon in the cinema because. Aircon wasn't ubiquitous 14 years ago. Uh, so I just remember being boiling hot. But I also remember when I was on holiday, was it uh, SummerSlam 2000? Nope. Uh, yeah, SummerSlam 2000 when it was the TLC match. And I remember watching that on a big cinema-sized screen in a bar in um, in Spain. And I remember just being red hot then. I know it's not a film, but that was a good memory. Uh, the one where someone was hot... I'm not going to steal your what I think your answer will be, Matt. I'm going to go with do the right thing, which is the hottest oh. guy in this borough in New York, yeah, and, yeah. and all hell breaks loose. And like, that's a film that we mention like semi often on this podcast. <laughs> so I feel yeah, like no that needs a mention. Uh, well, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, do the right thing, David. What about yourself? Uh, I'll I don't really know. I don't remember anything about being the hottest watching a film. So I'm going to have to go for Riches. On uh, someone being hot, and I've got to go straight to Anchorman when he's in the streets <laughs> drinking the milk and saying milk was a bad choice. Yeah, <laughs> that is excellent. To be fair, <laughs> I I can't remember a time where I've been particularly hot, but I remember being at one of the download festivals, and they always coincided with like the World Cup or like the Euros because of the time where it is. And I, I remember watching an England game on a big screen, and you know it was one of those you were at a heavy metal festival, but they've got the football on, so those that have kind of been dragged along to this festival that aren't really into the music get to do something they enjoy. Beers are flowing, but then you've got metalheads who don't really understand the football culture. There was more like fighting and stuff than you'd, than you'd <laughs> think. I remember one of it being really hot one of the times and people were getting like dead pissy with each other about it. In terms of Richie's question, you think I'm going to mention falling down, but I'm not going to mention falling down. Oh, I'm okay. going to mention when Ross wears leather pants in front. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm on yet again another Friends rewatch at the moment. And this time around, maybe the, the fourth or fifth time I've ever watched it through, I've got a lot more appreciation for Ross this time. I used to think he was comfortably my least favourite character for Mm-hmm. like in the past but apart from him being a proper sleazy like almost rapey character at times like he's a lot funnier this watch through than than, than in previous series um and that leather pants episode got it's hilarious and there we go yeah <laughs> um so um matt cunnington um after having a sequel rant which film which spawned a sequel or sequels do you think was purely a great standalone film and should have the follow-ups erased? Um, Die Hard. Like, I, I like the sequels, but they're nowhere near good enough to be considered Die Hard when you compare it to the first one. 
I would quite happily forgo the others to just have the original ass, the Die Hard. Die Hard, your rebuttal, please. (laughs) (laughs) I've kind of grown to love Die Hard 2 a lot more than I used to. Um, In the kind of, yeah, it's a sequel by numbers of the first one, (laughs) just in a different place um, kind of style, but the rest of them, I agree with. If you if you could take it as like one and a half, there and then forget Vengeance Four and whatever, then I'd agree with that. Um, I thought he was going to say Matrix then, just to wind you up, but <laughs> uh, that's I didn't hate the fourth one though. The fourth one I thought was yeah. okay, so I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, mind if, even though I do like the two and three, it's probably going to be RoboCop because. <laughs> I watched it, not at the cinema, unfortunately, though I was planning to, but I did watch it again last week, the 35th anniversary, and it's just fucking classy. It's, it still is. And that dream of getting Peter Weller back as the original um, the original sequel plan that they mentioned on, on Spooled, um, yeah, that would be amazing if he's the decommissioned Robocop waking up 20 years in the future from where they were. That would be amazing. Bringing him back, I mean, it doesn't look that different there anyway. Um, yeah, and you only needed his, his face. Yeah, Robocop as a standalone piece of art would be incredible. And Dave, what about yourself? Um, I'm gonna go recent and say, well, I think you've got to take the Fantastic Beasts franchise, do you call it? I just think you know, that first film is, I think, it's really good. It really feels like the Harry Potter world, and then after that, it's just what have you done? Why have you even bothered with this? <laughs> so, I mean, again, I've, the third one I've not seen yet, but I've heard very bad things. And the second one, I just, I got almost lost and confused in that second one. It just felt, it very much felt like a middle film to another one. And they made many mistakes. So, yeah, fantastic beast for me. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. And finally, global world traveller, Ash Dolan, who never seems to be at home these days. <laughs> yeah. um, in honour of Stu's love of Avatar, a production company approaches you with a blank script to remake a Disney princess story with the absolute slightest of difference. Which story do you tell? And what's the twist? You win if I don't fall asleep during this movie. <laughs> Stu? Um... I don't know. I, I, I can't. I can't answer this because Avatar is the, the is the answer. There is the, the Avatar is the answer to his question. He just needs to get over it. I'm going to go with what I assume his good lady Melissa would say, and it's um, the Little Mermaid, but it's going to be set in space. Okay. Why, why not? <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it is good. Dad, would you? What would you do? What kind of? Off the wall thing that was so different, could you use to masquerade the fact that it's already a pre existing story? Oh, I, I was really going down the line of just slightly tweaking Frozen and just making Elsa evil when she turns into the ice princess and they have to okay. kill her and they have to <laughs> kill her basically to get rid of Winter. Um, would you uh, watch that? Yeah, to be fair, I would definitely watch that. The only other one I'd say is maybe Snow White and the Dwarfs are all assassins. <laughs> They're all trained assassins and she has Brilliant. to band with them to uh, defeat whoever the bad guy is in that film. 
See, I'd, I'd go down the lines of making it a super political piece, and I'd do Mulan, except Mulan is now a transgender athlete. <laughs> 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 Trying to make it, because I know, I know, Stu, you'd watch that as well. Um, and I'm sure you'd have your views on that uh, uh, as well, but we'll move on. But thank you very much for your questions, everybody. Um, ask them, and we will answer them. Super, thank you very much. Uh, Hot Take Corner this week. Recently, 200 writers, directors, actors, producers signed an open letter asking that Hollywood be more responsible in its depiction of gun crime. Is it on Hollywood to make amends in the issues with gun culture in America? Is this something that they need to tackle? What are your thoughts on this in general? Stu? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you come to me first on this. <laughs> oh, as with everything like this, <laughs> whenever th- things like th- there's bound to be another one by the time this be released in the next four days. So we can't even say when the last one was. <laughs> it's that ridiculous now. Every time it, it used to be, oh yeah, it was in the 1800s, they, ban- they blamed it on books. <laughs> And then they blamed it on moving pictures. Then they blamed it on rap music. And then it was games. It's always someone else's fault. So blaming it on the arts and the arts making a difference. It's going to make no fucking difference, is it? It makes no difference whatsoever. If oh, the, it's like, well, let's take the uh, the guns out of ET and replace them with walkie talkies. That worked clearly. <laughs> so uh, I think it's it's a nice thing to do. I think okay if if you think you're making a difference, but. That country's so fucked in the head. It, it needs wiping off the face of the earth and starting again, because there's, nothing's gonna stop, nothing's gonna fix them. And, and little gestures like this ain't gonna do it. And so for me, you could do whatever you, you could have. You, you could have twenty years of films without guns and anyone being killed, but it's gonna make no difference to America. So I don't, I don't see the point in it really, to be honest. Fair. Dave, does Hollywood bear any responsibility in all this? I think it's a difficult one because, again, you can make the one argument that films and games as well to an extent have glorified having guns. But you can't... It depends on the type of film you're trying to portray. You can't just take them out of every film. Like, you're not going to have, I don't know, a a cowboy film without, you know, the the standoff, aren't you? You're not going to have them whip out... I don't know, pens at each other or something like that. <laughs> um, but I think it's a way you tell a story in a film that shows the reality of of gun, you know, having a gun and gun crime and the setting it's in is probably important. Yeah, I think it's just... I think also in some ways that there's a sense with with film, gun, well, guns in films, it is about the escapism and just creating a... a a made-up story that doesn't affect real life. Um, yeah, I think it's difficult. I think, it, again, like I said, I think it's just about the context of what the film's about and how you portray it in it. But if it's a fantasy world, I, I don't really see the problem. Mm. Let me just say, okay. um, 100, 165 million copies of Grand Theft Auto Five have been sold. Jeez. 165 million people have not gone up and shot each other, have they? So, yeah, just, no, I, I know what you mean. Matt, is this not the responsibility of the MPAA or in the UK, the BBFC? This is why we have certificates, isn't it? So that people don't see things that is going to scar them, for example. Mm. 
Um, well, I, t- I took this question a little differently. I don't think Hollywood has um, a shred of responsibility or should act in any way um, to change because it's not the influence of guns. It's the accessibility of guns that's the issue in America. Not, yeah. mm-hmm. not you know, because we don't, uh, you know, if if this was such a de- uh, such an influential form of, of media, we'd have people trying to do all sorts of things like why isn't there now, why isn't every uh, flight school in America now fully, why isn't everybody joined the the Navy or or anything like that or wanted to be in Top Gun, do you know what I mean? If everything, people don't see a gun and go, oh, I must have a gun now, I must shoot everybody. And I think the thing is if you you take guns out of society and take them out in, in the film sense, take them out of that, you push the people that want to be on the fringes of society or believe they are on the fringes of society, who believe they are the outcast, you push them even further away because by them being involved in something that is then even more taboo, it's even more of a naughty thing to have because it's not on the screens anywhere. You're putting it into the hands of the maniacs in a way Mm. by having it be out and open you know you're you're diminishing its importance and its its relevance you know how like we, we say that you know if you joke about something you disarm it it's the same kind of thing about having it on the screens and stuff like that by by taking it away and making it this thing that we dare not talk about it becomes attractive to people who live on the edges of extreme and i think mm-hmm. that would, is what happened the, the bigger issue in america is the accessibility to these guns and everything else and i don't think Hollywood or film or games or music or anything has any has any weight on that. What you've got to think of is the majority of the of of the uh, that is consumed is by an eighteen to thirty year olds, let's say. But all the decision making is being done by fifty to seventy year olds, or, or the living walking corpse of a president in America's case. Um, so. You're asking the wrong people to play an influence because it's 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 your root and toot and boomers that you want to you need to get a hold of, <laughs> um, and by by taking it out of Hollywood, you're not doing that anyway. Yeah, wait that, for the old was... people to die. As we always, <laughs> you've said it before. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that was going to be my point is that it's the politicians who need to be doing this, not the celebrities, especially because there's always a backlash when a celebrity tells you to do X, Y, or Z. Well, you're just a liberal elite, aren't you? What do you know? Like, it's not on the celebrities to try and tell people what they should and shouldn't be doing. It should be onto the politicians and the lawmakers. They're the ones who really need to pull the thumb out their arse and actually do something about it. But by making it more scarce in films, all they're doing, as you just said, Matt, is they're trying to sidestep the conversation. And if Hollywood sidestepping the conversation, that's definitely not going to push the politicians to talk about it because they're trying to avoid it best they fucking can anyway. So in the long run, I just don't think it will make the slightest bit of difference where it really needs to make the difference. Mm-hmm. Because if you're doing it, if you're removing guns from films, the only country really who's got this big issue with guns is America. So <laughs> it, it's sort of falling on deaf ears when the rest of the world is like, well... It's not our fucking problem. You need to sort it out. So, yeah, it, it's a bit shit. It's difficult, but they need to do something about it themselves and not rely on celebrities to change people's minds because that is proven to not work. I wonder if this could be this, our first ever death threat 
as a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if, we mar- if we market this right, if we do the right hashtags, that could happen. <laughs> That's it. I'll, uh, I'll tag the NRA, shall I? When I yeah, <laughs> Brilliant. Right, okay. The non-film question this week is mine. I'm going to set the scene and then I want an answer. So it's the middle of the summer. It's a hot, hot day. You are sat in your car. You've got your windows down. The music is up to 11. What song are you playing on your radio? Matthew. Well, my answer is a song called Breaking Out of Hell by Airborne, but no one knows that. So the answer answer that the majority of people would know would be um, Move Your Feet by Junior Senior. What a song. Because that is an unbelievably summery, wonderful song that everybody needs and deserves to hear on a daily basis. Yeah, fantastic. David. Uh, oh, uh, um, what am I saying? Oh, we know the answer. Uh, Miami, Will Smith. Oh, what a tune. Straight I've heard that for years. Yeah. <laughs> Straight away. I'm going to sing the, the singing part. I'll let someone else do the rapping part. Just get to the chorus. <laughs> let me do that bit. I'll let Will Smith take care of the rest. Yeah. I saw a tweet yesterday, someone saying that um, Will Smith is so much in the doghouse, they haven't even played Summertime this summer. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart, what are you playing? On Tuesday when I was walking back from work, um, I actually put Will Smith into Spotify and listened to Summertime Miami and Getting Jiggy With It in a row. And Classic. Getting Jiggy With It is, for that reason, it's it's just pure summary. And then you can go shack him some pliers and all that kind of thing. But Getting Jiggy With It was my answer. <laughs> Excellent choice, to be fair. Uh, my answer... I'd- I've got one bit like Matt where no one knows it by a band called Mannequin Pussy called Drunk 2. And it's just got these blaring guitars that are fucking amazing, especially in the summer. Uh, but the song that I think most people will know and probably enjoy, it's got to be Taylor Swift, Shake It Off. Like That's just happy vibes in the sunshine. So, okay. yeah, it's got to be. Got to be. <laughs> uh, so, moving on, what have you been watching lately? Stoop, start us off. Um, I finished Resident Evil, the series on Netflix. Um, not what I expected at all. I don't, I don't kind of, I don't know what I expected really, because you obviously had the Mila Jovovich films, which are middling to best, <laughs> uh, middling to best, and obviously with Sir Colin Salmon, we mentioned several times. But this is, it doesn't take itself seriously whatsoever. Um, I think that if I if I knew that going in, I would have watched it day one because. Well, it's silly bollocks, and it knows it is. Um, and it, it's playing very loose with the lore of Resident Evil. Um, it kind of works in a weird way. And, yeah, the CG is obviously very, very bad, um, as we talk about constantly this year. Um, <laughs> but I had a lot of fun with it. It's only, it's only eight episodes, so it's not that long. You can blitz through it in three nights. Um, for normal people watching, but yeah, I I enjoy myself watching it. I mean, obviously, Karen nearly finished Severance, but that's so hardcore that you kind of you have to one or two, and then have a bit of a break to let everything sink in. But yeah, but other than that's the uh, the main thing. Um, Resident Evil for me this week. Cool. Is it half an hour episodes? Hour? What what are we looking at? Uh, 50, 50 minutes to an hour. Okay. 
Okay. I've great on the list, brass we've discussed earlier. Like that list just keeps getting longer without anything getting washed off it. <laughs> Dave, what have you been watching? Uh, so I watched a film recently on Netflix called Apollo Ten and a Half. If you've seen the trailers for that one. So basically the premise is it's about it's just a few days before the, the moon landing and NASA realised that they've built the lunar module far smaller than they thought. So they basically go to the local neighbourhood, pick a random kid and say to him, top secret mission, you've got to be trained up, go in this lunar module, go to space four days before the actual one so we can make sure it all works. Um, Two things what's great about it, though. That part of the story is almost a real sub-story. It's mainly about this guy, Jack Black's narrator, about life in the late 1960s in America and how it was a great time to be a kid and all the different things that happened. And it's a really sweet story about this character's reflection on his family and the things they used to get up to. But what's also good about it is it's all... It's a bit of a... It's almost like a cartoon. So it's like they filmed it normally, but they're then drawn on every single frame. Yeah, it look, looks like a Scanner Darkly sort of yeah. artwork Ooh. looking at this. So I think it's Zachary Levi. Um, it's like a sub-character in it. That's the only person I really um, known. Um, so, yeah, really, it took me surprise that the majority of the film wasn't really about the actual thing that's in the trailer. And I think that's what really um, why I really enjoyed it. So I'd highly recommend that. And then, apart from that, I've just been catching up on the latest episodes of um, Only Merge of the Building on Disney+. Plus. The um, mm. Steve Martin, Martin Short um, comedy drama murder thing. It's been quite good. Um, and strangely, for no reason, I've been watching random episodes of Doctor Who, mainly because of the 60th anniversary <laughs> stuff that came out and just, you know, watching episodes that I really enjoyed, watching ones again that I didn't think, you know, I'll give this another chance. The one thing I've took out of it, which is no thing against her, is any time I've put a recent series on, I've just had to power my way through an episode and I still feel really bad for Jodie Whittaker because I think she's been done a dirty yeah. on that whole run. I, yeah, I've, still got, I've still got the last two episodes to get. I, I, they've been sitting there on the on the TV box and I haven't bought myself, been able to bring myself to watch it because it's been so awful. Oh, is that um, the, the Flux series? Oh, the Flux series was absolute dire. Um, yeah. Now there was a, there was one after the flux, and then there was oh, a standalone episode. I'd, I'd recommend watching the the New Year one, the Dalek one. That's actually quite good. But the the recent one, don't even bother. Do not bother. It is probably one of the worst things I've ever seen. I mean, I know I'll have to do it because of my own completionist thing and what I said a few weeks ago. Um, but uh, it's it's like it's at the bottom of like BT Sport documentaries on like pies and stuff. <laughs> and that's that's way more important. But actually, Dave, while you're here, yet again, tell Andrew why he needs to watch Bluey. Now it's on. Disney oh, Games. Andy, it's one of the greatest things ever. Honestly, <laughs> I saw a tweet that there's new episodes coming to Disney Plus on August 10th. August, 10th. and I was like. This is great. I can actually watch new episodes of this. I don't have to watch the same episode over and over again. But I don't know what it, I think we've talked about it when I was on here before, Stu. I don't know what it is. It's just like the humour and the the reality of parent life is so bang on. Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't even. You don't need to be a parent to enjoy Bluey. It's, yeah. it's just. It's. I mean, the writing. It. It shouldn't work. 
It does. Yeah. It really, really does. Not in the way that, I mean, I had watched the um, Streaming Wars, South Park, the Streaming Wars, part one and two. That's that's in a whole separate thing. Like when you're saying about they have to make things for streaming services, that reminded me. <laughs> Them two specials are great, but Bluey, in its own special way, is equally as good as South Park's been in the last few years. It really, it, it just is. It's just yeah. genuinely nice and fluffy and warm. And season three on Disney Plus in August. I'll watch it on my own first before it's spoiled and rewatched over and over again. <laughs> just because that's how these things have to be done. Yeah, I'm, I was quite amazed because, like you just mentioned, Dave, the day that it was tweeted that the new season is coming, the amount of people I follow on Twitter who were all celebrating this coming, and not not for their kids, they were so excited to watch it themselves. I was like, okay, this has obviously got something about it, so fair play. But Matt, what have you been watching? Uh, not a fat lot, really, because I was away last week. But I, I, have we really talked about Stranger Things? We've, we've recorded in a bit of a funny order, so I don't know if we've had a chance to, really. But um, no, Stranger so Things, I, obviously... I haven't watched it, so... Have you watched it now? Yeah, I've watched it now, but the last time we recorded, I hadn't watched any of it, so that's why we ain't talked about it. So we yeah, can go fall in there. Yeah, I've seen it all, yeah. Uh, well, I'm not going to go into too much of it, but um, Stranger Things, uh, which I absolutely loved, um, the, it's funny because all of the the hoopla about the uh, episode running times was just, it just showed how completely farcical it was and everyone kicked up such a fuss because in the end, it, it made per... Like, it, it, it wasn't even though like it should have you know, a good story could have been told in an hour. It was a pure joy to watch all the way through, and mm. I was only only left wanting more. However, not everybody loved it. Um, I won't name names. Um, however, some people very close to my heart were not a fan of um, of, of this series, and basically talked about how um, we got no answers, only more questions. And there is becoming a bit of a habit in, in modern TV and film now where I'm a bit sick of X, Y, Z place will fall as the last series of anything. Yeah. That's becoming a bit of a trope uh, at the moment where the last series is always this build up and everything is going to reset at the end or everything's going to be destroyed. And it's the final, like it just feels like that's more and more and more. And obviously that's what's happening in stranger things about giving too much away for those who haven't seen it. Um, you know, but I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I can't wait for more. Uh, I started, um, resident evil. I'm enjoying it to be fair. Um, it's not groundbreaking, but it's, it's not, it's not massively throwaway. It's just, it's good that they've just took a property, took some of the, some of the elements just to kind of shoehorn it in as resident evil, but it's its own story and a fun story at that as well. It's um, the way it's done is, is, is quite unique. So I'm enjoying it so far. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm, we, me and Sam, are basically our tea time viewing two or three episodes of friends while we're eating our tea. And you just, you know, you're surprised how quickly you can consume TV when you're doing it like that and how easy it is. So we're into like Chandler and Monica are about to get married. We're like, we're that far through. <laughs> so yeah, so we've got blasted through it really quickly. Cool. On my TV and in the cinema, on TV, I watched Ms. Marvel. Um, it's like I said earlier, it felt like it was just very much hashtag content. Like, it's just ridiculous, eh? It's just, it just <laughs> nothing, nothing happened for 90% of the show. And then we got a little bit of story at the end. And it's just, 
okay. It like it wasn't awful by any stretch. Like, there's no, it's nowhere near as bad as any of the other stuff they've put out on Disney Plus. But it was just more of the same generic comic book movie esque <laughs> stuff. <sighs> the one thing which I said to you, Dave, um, on on WhatsApp, I like the fact that it had this this Indian culture to it. I thought they did, they did that very well. Is it had this. It did feel separate to the normal MCU by having that. And it felt authentic almost. Like yeah. you could tell that it came from Indian voices. So I appreciated that. It was just very much the whole, it's just another comic book property. And it's exactly the same as every other comic book property. It's just like, okay. It was fine. That, that, that's as much praise as it'll get. It was fine. <laughs> Rated <laughs> I <fresh>. quite like. <laughs> well, yeah, but I. I've said before, she like <laughs> your booze mean nothing because I've seen what makes you cheer. Like this Marvel stuff, people keep wanking off over it, and it's just so mind-numbingly average. But I really like the girl who plays Miss um, Marvel. She seems to like a really infectious person who's really into what she does. So, like in interviews and everything, she seems awesome. So, kind of, I'm rooting for her to do well. But it's just not my cup of tea, personally. Did you see the meme doing the rounds at the moment that everything that Marvel have put out that since Endgame is like doing the side quests after you've finished the main quest in a game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect analogy for yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another thing, I went to the unlimited screening of Where the Crawdads Sing. I love a good murder mystery courtroom drama type thing. Um, this this was a bit shit, but I kind of enjoyed myself. Like you know, I love it, a bad film, and the acting in this is really stilted. It's really awkward. the The script. There's one part where she's learning to read as a twenty year old, and she like tears up and turns to the main dude and says, "I didn't realize words could carry so much weight." I'm like, "Who the fuck wrote this shit?" <laughs> like it was so corny, but I did enjoy myself in spite of it. It's kind of terrible, but I, I did like it. Um, if you like bad films, there is enough there to rip it apart and enjoy. And that's my kind of film, really. So it wasn't a terrible experience. Uh, so the first question this week is yours, please, Dave. Yeah, so given that we've got a bit of a, a cost of living crisis at the minute, um, and obviously, uh, if you don't have like, well, even if you have like an unlimited card or one of those monthly subscriptions, uh, the cost of going to the cinema is going up and up, even on ticket prices alone. We've also got streaming services, which have millions of films. And we've now got, especially with Disney Plus, we've got films that go on the cinema and seem to be on Disney Plus a, a month later. So my question was, could cinemas or what could cinemas be doing more for to allow more accessibility to tickets, given the scene we're at the moment, you know, depending on your economic situation, you know, going to the cinema is going to be a luxury you really would not be looking to afford at the minute. But there might be people out there who have probably never been to the cinema because of the prices and have missed that cinematic experience. So, given what's going on at the minute, is there anything cinemas can do to get tickets more accessible? It, I mean, it, go on, Chip. I was going to say, I mean, the, you had you had the whole meerkat thing, and I tried to use the meerkat thing. But in mind, I've got a card anyway, um, which is, I mean, it works out at four quid a, four quid a week. So, 
that's that's not that bad for me. Um, but except for other people, if they've got other things going on, not everyone can do that. So the meerkat thing is ideal for people. Obviously, Orange Wednesdays before that. But it's even that has been made so ridiculously complicated to do. Whereas before, you just put the code in on the website, and then it kept. Then you paid all the fifty p or whatever it was um, for the admin charge, unless you give them a five a year. No, you. It, it's it came up last time I tried to do it as two people. You need to register one other person. You think, well, no, it's supposed to be one free, but you have to go and select either the adult or the child box and then put the code in, and then it'll take it away afterwards. They don't tell you this. So they made something that's supposed to be for the good of mankind even more hard to get hold of without saying anything about it. And you think, okay, why have you done this for? Because that is a, a great opportunity for people who, who were with Compare the Market getting as a, as a perk every week. So if they can't be bothered to doing that, then they need to be doing something else. I mean, and maybe just... A buy one get one free, something as simple as that. Just on someone's someone's account, someone's card details. Buy one get one free for once a month. It costs them. It costs them what? Twelve quid. That's gonna get. That'll get even school kids in. If you can go with your friend and you split the cost six quid each. There you go. Just something nice like that. Yeah, obviously people can abuse it and get around it using different cards and PayPal and whatever, but. Not many people are going to do that if compared to ones who use it genuinely. I think that that would be a good way to do things. They, they do sort of need to future-proof themselves a little bit because it's so... Like, I mean, I'm very privileged that I've got this unlimited card that it's, what, 15, 16 quid a month and I can get to see all the films I want. But if that wasn't available to me, I wouldn't see half the films that I do now, probably. Like, it... It pays for itself with me because I go so regularly. Um, but they, you are right, they do need to definitely do something a lot more to try and help it, even if it's just the case of saying you get a free small popcorn with your ticket. Just something because, I mean, obviously, Dave, you've got yourself, your good lady wife and your two children. If you were to go to the cinema, that's what. So you've got two adult tickets are about, what, 10 quid? Two kids tickets? I mean, are they, what, six, eight. seven quid? Yeah, yeah. Eight quid? Like, already before you've even got your ass in the seat, you've spent a lot of money. I can imagine the kids want some popcorn. Like, it, it mounts up quickly. So they do need to offer some incentives just to try and get people in. And if it's a case of, if there's a family day where you just pay, I don't know, a flat rate, say £15, and your whole family can go, whether that's three people, four or five, whatever, just to get them in the cinema. Because then at the same time, you're letting kids come in and get the experience of going to the cinema. And that could be something that they fall in love with and then they want to do ad nauseum for the rest of their lives. Like it is then going to put money back in the cinema's pocket in the long run. So I do think that they could probably do more to try and appeal to the family man, so to speak, personally. And it's saying that they ain't got the space to do that either. I mean, every every film that we've been in together, I mean, even when I've going in the middle of the day, obviously you're not going to get it packed. Hey, but when we've gone to like we went to watch Elvis, mm-hmm. that was what the third full, yeah, if that, and that that was the prime time on the night on a Thursday. You think okay, Thursday night film night like it used to be. There was loads of space. Well, so, that, that was a Tuesday, so that was a two for one night. 
yeah. So, I mean, and it still wasn't even full on a two for one. So, yeah. Hmm. Matt, what are you thinking? Um, Twofold, really, I suppose. Tapping into more of what we consider off-peak. For, for the running costs of what it costs to, for them to put on a cinema per film, per screen, per everything. And then you, so many times you go in and there's five people in there. For the sake of that, having dramatically reduced costs for middle of the afternoon on a Tuesday when nobody's in mm. isn't going to hurt them. They're not going to get any less people because of that. Do you know what I mean? Um, their profits must be next to none for those screenings in, in their ceiling costs. So dramatically cut the costs for off-peak times. You can keep your peak times as they are. Um, cut the cost of a film once it's been out for X amount of time as well. Make it more attractive of a prospect because the people that are going to be going who want to see your midnight showings, you put that film at 25 quid, they'll pay 25 quid. Mm. Like you, you, they, yeah. they, your, your money is safe as that cinema, because those people are going to go see it. Whereas people, if they haven't seen the film and it's been out for a month, but they see that it's now at half the price or something like that, that they'll see it. And I think more can be done in related to schemes like Microsoft points or, or the ones that you build up or, you know, your, your club card and things like that. Like I think the cinemas need to get to more of these things and, and, and build more partnerships with brands that everybody has to use Everybody has to buy food. You know what I mean? That's not an if. There's not mm-hmm. an if and a about it. So get it. You know, if they had more partnerships with supermarkets, that you know, with every twenty pound shop, you got a free ticket. With every fifty pound shop, you got a family ticket. And do you know what I mean? More things that make it easier to access these things in the first place. I think would be a great way to help with with, with this to get people's asses in in the seats. Yeah, I mean, we, we we didn't mention it earlier about the um, Microsoft being the partners with Netflix for the um, for their ad supported tier that they're going to put in, mm-hmm. and they said that it was because of privacy issues and whatever we Google and whoever else could have put it in there, but it ain't beyond the realms of possibility now that you you give that what couple of years and a Netflix tier is incorporated in Game Pass. So you, they only yeah. uh, they'd have to partner with a certain cinema chain and say, okay, there you go, there's your Game Pass. Game Pass can Game Pass Ultimate Plus or whatever can now include. So you get your free games, you get your Netflix, and you can get cinema as well. So mm. yeah, it goes big, big corporation, big government, and all that kind of thing. But if it helps people out, then why not? Absolutely, Dave. What would you do to to help the common man? Yeah, I think mine was kind of near to what Matt said at the start. I think you've got to look at ways to incentivize films that have been out for a while. You know, if you've got a film like, okay, we're going to talk about Andy's favourite film, Thor, at the minute. You know, Thor will probably still be at the cinemas now, but there'll be not many screenings available. How many of those screenings are going to be even half-full? Is that the way you then try and get schooled kids in and, and make deals with the school and say... We'll give you a massive discount on so many seats if you come and see this, because ultimately, cinemas are going to make money back from the the food and the drink, aren't they? So as long as they can get people in, it's likely that some of those people are going to go and purchase mm-hmm. food and drink at the cinema. As far as I'm aware, looking at cinemas, a lot of the schemes that they used to be at a cinema 
to entice people and they don't do much anymore. So and I remember they used to do moves for juniors for a pound and they used to put a random film on at 10 o'clock in the morning. That There seems to be less and less of that mm. now. They used to do like one for over sixes where you, at the Odeon where you could get a cup of tea and that at, with your film in the afternoon. There even used to be one for new moms where they used to pick a film out that wasn't too kind of blurry but would give them a chance to go probably see a film that they can't see. But kids were, you know, young kids were allowed, you could breastfeed, you could walk the pram up and down the aisle just to get people out. And, like, you just don't see things like that anymore. And I think if you do incentives like that and give a, a discount if you'd write, I think you'd, you'd get more people in. So they're the things. I'd like to see more of those schemes back. Mm. Well, you, you've been to one of them, uh, them new mom screen, are you? Fuck's sake, not by choice. Uh, right next question is yours please Shib so in in light of how Blazing Squad hot it's been this week (laughs) nice and easy what's the best film featuring lava (laughs) Dave Uh, Volcano that one with Tommy Lee Jones where they're going to stop the volcano (laughs) through the streets it's such a daft film and I love the bit where they get all the fire trucks together just to go all at the the lava. I remember as a kid thinking, oh, it'd be so good if you could get loads of blast toys and just get them to all squirt at the lava. But, um, yeah, that's my favourite one. Matt, what's yours? Uh, It's quite simply put, Austin Powers, the spy that shagged me. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Evil's second... Um, hide out inside uh, a volcano with his pupils being windows is uh, is true visual art at its finest. Yeah, it's a classic that film is. Uh, my answer is Moana, the end scene where he's fighting uh, to get to Tefiti. Like that scene is so exciting when he's fighting the I can't even remember the name of the. The, the monster that he's fighting, the lava monster. It's brilliant. I watched it again like two weeks ago. I've watched <laughs> this film a ridiculous amount of times. I absolutely love it. So yeah, it's Moana. Yeah, Moana was obviously mine as well, but I knew that you'd say it. So the yeah. obvious answer is Dante's Peak. Because how could it not be? <laughs> I don't was think Dante's we're... Peak the one with James Bond in? Is that, am yeah. I thinking of the right one? Yeah, yeah. I don't think we've even mentioned that film in two years of doing this. <laughs> There might be a reason, but I, I watched it a few years ago, and it's actually a lot camper than you, I remembered it being. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a very nineties kind of way, it's pretty, it's it's definitely one of them. If it, if Nicolas Cage was in it, we it'd be in like the top ten because it's it's very silly bollocks. Superb! It's been so long, I can barely remember anything about it. To be honest. Might be worth a rewatch. Um, my <laughs> question's next up. What is the best film that you've seen that you never want to watch again? Stu? I, I said this a few weeks ago on Avatar. Um, but <laughs> I, but I, I know I'm going to have to watch it again. That's the point. I'm going to have to watch it again in preparation. So actually, there's one film that I've, I've only seen once, and I absolutely loved it. And I've never watched it a bit again because I thought if I do watch it again, it's not what I thought it was. It's going to ruin that whole part of my life for me. And that's the um, 
a very old, well, old, 1997 film called The Game with Michael Douglas, Sean Penn, James Raven. It's it's very... Is this the one where he it, teaches a kid how to pull? No, no, no. It's not that one. <laughs> after, here we go. After a wealthy San Francisco banker is given an opportunity to participate in a mysterious game, his life is turned upside down as he begins to question if... Blah, 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 blah. Watch it uh, if you want to watch it. Watch it without knowing as anything at all. So that's we went to the showcase in Warsaw to watch this by mistake because some, whatever we were watching that day wasn't on. And it's I loved it. It was maybe it was because of the the innocence of youth and it was all a bit, a bit mysterious and it grown up for us at that at that age. But I thought it was a, it was an excellent film from what I remember, and I don't want to go back and taint it. I mean, it's still got a, a seven point seven ish. On IMDb, which for a film like that that no one's ever heard of, um, they only had a limited. It was probably only out for about two weeks in the in the late nineties. The game by Michael Douglas. There you go. It's available on Netflix. I've just added it to my list. Sounds interesting. Matt, a film you never want to see again, but you like it. Um, one directed by directed by I wish it was um, recommended by your fine self Andy uh, Peanut Butter Falcon mm-hmm. um, yes. it was just it was so sweet and it was so moving and the the scenario in which I was watching it you know it's very rare that me and Sam will watch a film that I've not seen I usually recommend a film I've already seen we watched it together we both watched it we both loved it she cried and mm-hmm. it was just a perfect film and you know, if I watch it again and start because I know what's coming, looking for its flaws, which inevitably I do, just because the the cynic in me, I'd hate to take away from that memory of watching it the first time, which I absolutely loved. So I will have to leave that one alone and and um, and enjoy the memory alone of it. Mm. Which, strangely enough, that was actually recommended to me by David Evans. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. well, we've got we've we've so gone third hander. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dave, what about yourself? Uh, I want to change my answer now to Matt's answer because that's such a good answer. <laughs> but I'm going to go with, I think it was called United 93, the one about 92. the plane yeah. that didn't um, that didn't hit the White House. I remember going to see it with, with Mrs. E and half not really realising what we were going into and just watching the film, I drawers on the floor for the whole thing. And then you come out of the cinema and you almost have this strange sense of coldness about you like you, you kind of feel like you have watched something that obviously did happen but you almost feel like you've watched the actual thing that happened the real as in the, the the people in the plane the actors were actually the people on the plane mm. if that makes sense and it's such a good film but it's one of those like you just not to get upset you just do not want to see it again yeah absolutely yeah. my answer is on mean, a similar oh, sorry Stu carry on mate I was going to say that I had that exact same memory when we went to watch Dunblane. No, I was going to say Dunblane. Then that's not a different little bit. <laughs> uh, Dunkirk. We were, we walked out of Dunkirk, and it was like everyone was silent, and obviously based on loosely based on real events as well. But yeah, I know I know exactly what you mean with that, Dave. Mm. Yeah, my, my answer is a similar sort of thing. Where at the end, I just felt a little bit bereft. I think is the right word, um, and it's Twelve Years a Slave. And like the whole story of um, Northup, is it? Is that the character's name? I believe 
this whole story of a man who was a semi-famous musician who gets taken into the slave trade and obviously 12 years as a slave. And you just come out the other end of it just thinking, how the fuck did that happen in the not that distant past? Like, it's too recent for that to have been going on. And I remember coming out of it just thinking, like, I don't know what to do with myself. It was such a, an incredible film, such a moving experience. But I never want to see it again because I never want to feel like humanity's fucked. And that's sort of how I felt at the end of it. Like we, we kind of screwed if that's how we treat our, our fellow man. And it was horrible. It, similar to like uh, Schindler's List. Like Schindler's List did that to me as well at the end of it. You just kind of think, like, you just keep thinking, why? Why did this happen? And there's no there's no real answer that you can ever have that will ever satiate that itch. But, yeah, th- those two films, especially for me, just, they destroyed me to a point of, I never <laughs> want to experience that again if I can help it. Uh, Matt, your question is up for the finale, please. Uh, I want to know the best cameo slash full feature performance of a full band in any film, please, David Evans. Can I cheat and go with TV at all on this Oh, you may. You may. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Simpsons. (laughs) Nice. Easily. I just love Flea when he shouts, Hey, Mo! At that one point. Yeah. It's great. I love it. They had some really good ones, man. I remember, like, Billy Corgan smashing pumpkins. Yes! Homer Simpson smiling politely. And, like, and they had, like when they had Metallica on and all sorts like that. Oh, man, The Simpsons really, like, they, they, during that golden period of The Simpsons, which I'm sure there's plenty of podcasts that I can listen to about that, they had some real corkers on yeah. that point of view. I think and, my favourite mm. Simpsons, sorry to cut you off, Matt, my favourite Simpsons uh, cameo would be the Spinal Tap one, yeah, which obviously yeah, they've yeah. already got that link with um, Cheer. Yeah. yeah, that's so funny, that one is. Good night, Springton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there will be no encore. Like, yeah. Fucking great. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> what about yourself, Andy? Um, right. So do they have to be themselves or can they be acting as someone else they can be acting as long as those people in that band appear good i had two answers one for each possibility so the answer i'm going to go with is slade in flame starring slade like okay in 19 i think it was 1977 1976 when that film was out like slade had pretty much conquered most of Europe with their really happy-go-lucky rock music. Everyone loved them. And they were like, what do we do next? Like, we can carry on doing what we've been doing, but we want to do something different. So they decided to do a film, and people came to them with, like, The Beatles, which was going to be one of my other answers, uh, with, like, The Beatles-type thing. And they're like, no, because you would expect us to do The Beatles. So they did a kitchen sink drama about a band <laughs> forming out of the ashes of two bands that get together and go through all this turmoil, then end up splitting up at the end and the manager's a cunt who's trying to screw him over and he threatens to kill people. And it's just this real, like, quite hard-hitting drama from Slade. And it's so fucking good. It's absolutely brilliant. And I don't think enough people have seen it, but it is available on YouTube. And it's like 80 minutes long, so there is no excuse to not watch it. It's brilliant. Wow. Well, uh, Stu, what about yourself? It's been a long time since I've even heard anyone talk about it in, in flames. I mean, it, I, it, you, 
my dad used to have it on video. So he he loves Slade right. and Thin Lizzy and all them lot. And he, he saw he saw him in Warsaw before they um before they went big big together. Slade and Thin Lizzy supporting each other. Amazing. Uh, imagine you being there. I think it was at the show, the showman, which I think is the Weatherspoon's name, the theatre. Um, mine was the first thing that came into my head was was very Matt Guy, which I was quite proud of, since it was your question. And it's a, a Vin Diesel film, a very 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 forgotten Vin Diesel film. That's Triple X, Ramstein, in the um, <laughs> in the in the, the the dark club underground. Of course. I know, I'd never heard I'd never heard of them before. Obviously, in my squeaky clean life, and it, I didn't know it, they, they were a real band until afterwards. <laughs> and he, oh, okay. he was, they were in the credits later on, and then I think that was against around the time I had uh, my heart wrecked on repeat for a while afterwards. <laughs> and when we uh, we painted me and Dean painted a, a our old primary school um, toilets in the over the summer. And that was the uh, that was the theme tune of the of that experience. So yeah, very good. Um, so mine, I've got two. So one is where they're playing themselves as a band. So it's kind of cheating, but I think it's Cannibal Corpse is in um, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, when he's <laughs> when he goes like to when he goes to find out uh, more information in that club. Um, and then it, it's kind of cheating in a way, really. So Tenacious D obviously have the pick of destiny, but both of them appear in School of Rock as well, as um, Kyle Gass appears as one of the teachers mm. um, as well. They're long, um, very much the Robin in that duo, but he has his moments as well um, where he uh, where he appears. And, and But the pick of destiny, me and me and, uh, and Tom Keeley were having this conversation the other day where a good barometer of a person would be how not, whether they liked the pick of destiny or not, but just what how they feel about the film is a good barometer of, of a person's personality because I can appreciate like it's not a great film in terms of you know of, as a director or mise en scène or anything like that, but God, it makes me feel happy in that film. <laughs> like it's so fun and stupid, and like if you don't find some joy in that film, I do I do worry about you a little bit. I feel exactly the same way about the Harold and Kumar movies. <laughs> like they're a bit dumb and a bit silly, but they're such good fun, and they just make you feel happy inside. That should be all it needs, really, isn't it? Absolutely, excellent. Right, okay, so that is another week done. Next up, we are going to be discussing Prisoners of the Ghostland, which is available on Shudder. Um. <laughs> Stu's giggle probably tells you everything you need to know about that film. It's 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 weird. It's it's out there. Um, but yeah, check us out next week where we'll be discussing that bad boy. Uh, please make sure you've got us on whatever podcaster that you listen to us on now, so that you don't miss an episode. And also make sure you've got us on the socials at Cage Fighting Pod on Twitter and the Gram. Emails to cagefightingpod at gmail so, David, thank you very much for joining us this week. It's been a pleasure to have you again. Uh, would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye. <laughs> Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Watch Bluey. Goodbye. Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Check in on your friends, look after yourselves, and have a great week. It's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. Oh. Oh, 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 oh,